This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Maresca. Welcome to the CyberSound podcast. Uh, this week, we're actually joined by a special guest, Rob McWilliams, a data privacy expert with Vancord, and as always, Jason Pufall and Steve Maresca. Uh, so, Rob, I appreciate you joining today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting a little bit about data privacy because, candidly, that is not my area of expertise. Or mine, for that matter. Uh, so I think we'll do our best to listen to you. Uh, maybe you know, ask some, some questions that, you know, frankly, probably people who don't have a deep sort of level of understanding of this might ask and, and, and kind of go from there. But I think the most important place to start really is, you know, just can you give us a definition of what data privacy is? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's good to think of it from the point of view of ourselves as, as individuals. Um, we share a lot of information about ourselves with organizations these days, um, some of it quite sensitive information. And data privacy is about the regulations and the laws that govern how organizations can use that data um, and how they have to put governance in place to protect that data. And it's also about our expectations as individuals. Um, we understand, for example, that when we um, buy something from Amazon, we have to tell Amazon where to ship it and we have to give them our credit card information. No surprise, no problem. But where problems come in is where we share personal information with an organization um, and then that organization does something completely different with that data, perhaps something we don't like, perhaps something that's even harmful to us. Um, so consumer expectations are very important for organizations because um, uh, if you don't meet them, um, it can lead to reputational damage. So to cut a long story short, data privacy is about the, the laws, but also the expectations um, about how organizations govern um, and use the personal data that they collect from individuals. So, so in our in our world, when we're dealing with security incidents, you know, we we are really concerned about the flow of data, and that tends to be where we encounter privacy requirements or reporting requirements at the tail end of an incident. I don't know if that's a reasonable place to start, but it's it tends to be how we uh, come across the subject. Yes, there's quite often a confusion between security and privacy. Um, and indeed, some I've come across people who feel that they are the same thing. They're different words for the same thing. Um, they're undoubtedly related, but they're very different. Uh, the old story is that um, you can have security without privacy, um, but you can't have privacy without security. In, in that sense, security is a subset of privacy. And what that means is that an organization, for example, could um, have a trove of personal data from its customers. Um, it could have Fort Knox-like security to ensure that nobody ever hacks into that data. Um, but they might have collected that data and they may use it illegally, um, in other words, in violation of privacy laws. So you can have security without having privacy. Um, the part about not 
being able to have privacy without security is kind of obvious that you could comply to the letter with every global privacy law. Um, but if for some reason you've overlooked your information security um, and the data is open to hackers or to people who should not see it, um, then you don't have privacy. So again, the short answer is security and privacy are related, but they're not the same thing. So one, th one thing that you talked about really early on when you started talking about the definition of data privacy, you said companies are collecting your data uh, and they may or may not be using it in ways that uh, you've agreed to, right? And I think we all sign on to these web-based services all the time. I think in a lot of cases, we click through the privacy agreement really quickly without ever reading it. Uh, I, you know, I'll say I've read every letter of every privacy uh, uh, agreement that I've ever seen. So I know exactly where all my data is, right? Like I'm sure all of our listeners here. Uh, what types of things should consumers be mindful of if they actually do look through those? Um, you know, are, there, are there common elements that you think from a, from a data usability perspective we should be concerned about? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, actually, if I could just take a little step back first. Um, most privacy statements or privacy policies that have been that businesses have put out um, to date have been pretty bad and really hard to read for the average person. Um, you know, they're a great way of, of going to sleep if you have problems <laughs> with that. Um, but privacy laws increasingly, both overseas and here in the United States, are emphasizing that privacy policies, notices, have to be understandable. They have to be written in plain English. So that's something that is coming along. Um, and yes, what, what should we be looking out for? I think going back to that example of, of the expected versus the unexpected, um, if you do business, if you provide your personal data to an organization, um, you generally know why you're doing it. Um, you're, you're, you're doing it because you're buying a product or a service and you expect the data to be used to give you that product or that service. So a good thing to look out for is, um, and this would be in, usually in the who do we share your data with section of the privacy notice, um, what does your what else does the organization do with that data? Um, does it share it with um, other businesses? Does it sell it? Um, and the the California Consumer Privacy Act, which perhaps we'll talk a, a little bit more about later, um, is very hot on this sell issue, and it gives Californians the right to say, um, we don't want you to sell my personal data, um, meaning, uh, by all means, use my personal data to give me the, the service I wanted from you, um, but don't then, you know, make some monetary gain from my data that I don't know about. So that's one thing to 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 look out for. So, so is it um, possible that there are geographical regions or states or, or nations that afford protections that are outside and apart from? Um, some of the rights given away innocently, unknowingly in those agreements? Yes, absolutely. Um, particularly here in the United States, um, as the internet grew, um, 
the uses made of personal data, personal information, uh, were really unregulated. Um, it, it was a wild west. If you could get hold of people's personal information, you could pretty much do with it whatever you wanted. Um, that era is ending. Um, it started earlier in Europe than it started here, um, but it's most definitely arriving here. Um, in um, Very recently, recently, um, California put in place that California Consumer Privacy Act. Um, they are strength strengthening that with the uh, California Privacy Rights Act, which will come into force in about 18 months, and other states are getting on the bandwagon. Um, Virginia has recently passed a privacy law that has some similarities with California and with Europe. Colorado has done the same. Um, Nevada has a law about selling personal data. So it, it is growing in the United States. And of course, there is speculation about whether there will be a federal privacy law. Now, I, I think there really, it's not a privacy question as to whether that will happen or not. Um, it's more a political question where everyone's opinion is as good as anyone else's. Um, but certainly businesses, I think, would like a federal privacy law so that they don't have to operate in uh, in an environment where they have to comply with an increasing number of different state level laws. So it, it's definitely good news. Like I, certainly, I know you know, the EU with you know, GDPR or something specific, right, is, is much more advanced than us uh, in the in the U.S. Here, you know, relative to privacy, um, I think our data is a lot more valuable than sort of many people probably ever really realized or gave consideration to, you know, incredible opportunities to market against your browsing history or your shopping history or you know, just generalized uh, sort of internet-related activity, credible opportunities for companies to sell your data to, say, their partners or, you know, sort of other, other businesses in similar spaces for the purposes of marketing. Um, do... Generally speaking, do the do the states that have privacy laws look to restrict that a little bit more? Or, you know, do do we have some hope that some of the data that we use, simply by nature of using the web on a day to day basis, is is maybe less available to people? Yes, I think the the, the common denominator with all of the privacy laws on the books, whether in Europe or the United States or Canada is to give individuals more control um, over their personal data. Um, and these, these tend to come in the, in the form of rights. Um, so for example, both in Europe and in California, um, you have a right to ask a business to tell you what data it has about you. And you're absolutely right that for many of us, I think it is going to be quite shocking to find out how much data that is. We, we, we think about, yes, I provided my email address, I provided my home address, perhaps my phone number, my name. Um, we forget about all the stuff that we don't provide, but is generated through our use of services. Um, so, you know, location data, you know, when we're moving around with our iPhones, um, 
people can, applications can collect where we're going, how much time we're spending there, how often we go there. Um, and that data can be traded between companies. So we get rights to say, I, I want to know what it is that you hold about me. Um, and then we get rights to say, actually, I don't want you to hold about it. Delete it. I don't want you to hold it about me. Delete it. That's, for example, so we get that kind of control. So it, um, and I mentioned that in the case of California and now increasingly in other states, we can say, look, I don't mind giving you this data because I understand that when I downloaded your app that you're going to track my location, but I don't want you to provide that data to other organizations. And that's generally called the, the right to opt out of selling. That's becoming more common. So, Rob, in, in, in terms of the, the more nebulous uh, data that users aren't really aware of, um, I, I'm confident that there are other more concrete types of data that that are highly regulated or more specifically regulated. Can you speak a bit to you know specific types of data that um, organizations are obligated to protect outside of the the more generic uh, user behavior information that you're, you've spoken about to date? Yeah, again, that's a very good point, and I said that earlier that, you know, I always like painted the situation in the United States in the, in the internet boom as being kind of a wild west. Um, and that's perhaps a little unfair because the, the U.S. approach to privacy historically has been very sectoral, um, meaning that there have been privacy laws for certain types of businesses, but not a sort of umbrella or omnibus data privacy law that covers all businesses. So the classic, everyone knows many of these examples in the United States. Um, you know, if you interact with the healthcare system, which nearly everyone does, you're probably aware of um, the privacy rule under HIPAA um, that particularly healthcare providers and healthcare insurers have to comply with. So there's, there, there is that rule, HIPAA. Um, if you have kids at school, you may have come across FERPA. Um, and, you know, that's the, the, the federal regulation that governs how um, schools, including uh, colleges, um, need to, to handle the student data to make sure it doesn't get in the with the wrong hands and gives parents and kids rights over their data. Um, there's another less common one for the financial information, uh, sorry, the financial services sector, um, the Graham Leach Bliley Act, GLBA. So there is this sectoral as well as state pattern in the United States, but to date in the United States, we haven't had a comprehensive privacy law like the GDPR in, in Europe. So, Rob, one of the things I think you know, we talk a lot about here are ramifications for not doing something. And in the security space, you know, we've talked a little bit about you know, ransomware and the potential for you know, the, in, an incident that affects the business, for example. Um, in the privacy space, are there uh, you know, regulatory ramifications, you know, fines or you know, something else that might be uh, sort of been acting on a business for not complying with HIPAA, maybe, or not complying with FERPA, or or maybe you're know, not adhering to a published privacy policy or statement. 
all of the above. Um, and certainly there are government agencies that are responsible for um, enforcing the various laws, um, agencies at the federal or the state level. Um, so the appropriate agency for HIPAA, if, if you violate HIPAA, um, can come after you and can fine you, and that does happen. Um, FERPA, the same, if you're a school and you deny rights, the parents' right to see their students' educational records, then there can be that school or school district can be can be fined and there can be other measures, certainly. Um, the you mentioned it, every nearly every business these days, except perhaps a um, a ma and pop pizza store, puts up a, a privacy statement of some sort on their website. Um, those are legal commitments, and if you violate your own privacy notice, so if, if you say you'll do one thing and do another say you won't do something and then do it, um, that is considered um, an unfair and deceptive trade practice. Um, and enforcement will happen either at the federal or the state level. And at the federal level, it's usually the Federal Trade Commission. Um, at the state level, it's usually the attorneys general. And they are both very active in, in enforcing unfair and deceptive trade practices that come to their attention. Um, if you are a business that is covered by the GDPR, and many US businesses are, um, there are fines and other uh, penalties for not complying. I used to know somebody who, who said, um, and when he, this is going back 20 years, I should emphasize that he was a CEO and he was fond of saying about privacy that the ice was thin, but the water wasn't deep. Um, and this was 20 years ago. Hmm. Um, the, the, the ice is still thin, but the water is a lot deeper now. And the downside for your organization in terms of fines and regulatory investigations and indeed being sued by individuals, class action or individual, is exponentially increasing. But perhaps in some ways more important, it's worth considering reputational risk. We all know that the damage that can happen to organizations when they are their, their, their databases are breached and personal data is, is taken. These costs and, and fines and class action settlements run into millions. But the same is true of an organization that doesn't have proper privacy governance. Um, you get a, a bad reputation, um, that's going to hit your business in nearly all the activities that it does. And I think this, gov this point about governance is actually very important. Uh, another personal data now, I think every business re recognizes is an asset. It's something that's really important to them. Um, in that sense, it's a, almost a bit like money. And when you have an asset, um, you need to know where it is. You need to know it's right. protected um, and you need to control it. Um, I, there I was imagine a time that gets back to the um, 
interplay between privacy and security ultimately because oh. it, one of them is preparatory, I imagine, organizationally preparatory, and the other has to do with the actual safeguards in place to make sure that data is safe or doesn't get exposed unnecessarily. Well, he, he jumped into a topic almost that I think we could dedicate a whole episode to, which is your data inventory and just knowing where your data is, understanding data flows. Like that's that's paramount to all of this. You 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 can't protect it if you don't know where it is. You can't remove it if you don't know where it is. Uh, I mean, a lot of this comes down to that inventorying idea. Exactly. And of course, that inventory changes dynamically. Um, still, some executives, the sort of C-suite, see privacy as something that you do, then it's done, and then you forget about it, right. maybe until a, a major piece of legislation comes along. Um, I've always liked the the argument or the, I heard once that was put to such a, a CEO and, and he said, well, wait a minute, you, you, you've never told me we counted the money last year, so why do we have to count it again this year? Um, and it's a bit the same with, with data privacy, but yeah, unfortunately it's, it's never done. It, it's about... Um, it's about knowing where your personal data is, what you're using it for, what the risks are, how you mitigate the risks, how you comply with the ever-changing legal landscape and people's expectations. It is unfortunately an ongoing activity. Good. So uh, yeah, I think both security and privacy are ongoing, right? And, and the reality yes. is for both of them, they're, they're programmatic. Uh, hopefully you're developing a program that improves over time. Uh, you know, likely starts with something as simple as a privacy statement and matures into something where you've got a legitimate data inventory where you can really do some of the, you know, implement some of the rights you described, like right to be forgotten. Uh, but there's a lot of opportunity, I think, here to, to dive more deeply into some of these specific regulatory requirements, perhaps uh, moving forward. Um, but I think we're up, we're, we're roughly up against uh, perhaps a little bit more than our, than our normal 15 minutes here. Um, so I'd like to throw out there to our listeners that if anybody's interested in talking more about privacy, um, I know Rob would be happy to join. Uh, you could you know, tweet us or direct message us at Vancourt Security. Uh, we'd be thrilled to bring Rob back on. Uh, frankly, I'd be happy to, to, to spend more time talking about privacy since I really do live in that security space. Uh, and with that, I want to thank everybody for listening to CyberSound. Uh, and, we've, and we'll look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.